the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that inspires you because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show. Also visit our website, madetolead.co, for more information about each episode. Welcome to another episode of the Made to Lead podcast. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and today we've got Amonye Phillips uh, on the show. She is one of the youngest executives in a Fortune 500 company as she's a divisional vice president at Rite Aid. Uh, and her job involves overseeing the operations of over 180 plus stores and managing a budget in excess of $2 billion. She's dedicated countless hours to other businesses and service and philanthropy. Um, and all of her efforts are focused on empowering others. Um, on the side, she also runs My Dream Big Club, which is a, a non-for-profit that's focused on providing a hub of support and resources for entrepreneurs to jumpstart their businesses. And over the span of two years, they've seen a lot of growth, global expansion, uh, with meetings held over in North America and Africa and Europe uh, as well. Uh, so Monye holds a Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of Michigan, and she sits on the Alumni Board of Governors at its College of Pharmacy. Uh, she's also an active member in her church and in the community. So welcome to the show, Monye. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's nice to hear you say, the, say my bio like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So, so let's get started uh, uh, quickly. Just tell, just tell us a bit about uh, how you got started. You know, how, how did your life begin? Uh, what did you grow up? Um, and, and how did you end up getting into uh, this career path that you are currently on? All right. So I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria. I was born there actually and raised there with three siblings. I have two sisters and one brother. And I had, um, I lost my mom at a very young age. I still have, I have my dad as well. Um, so I grew up in a family of, uh, you can say a total of six. I was the second child. So four kids, two parents. And I, I would say I was very blessed with a very, very, um, intentional parents and very loving and extremely responsible. So I never really lacked. If anything, I think I, I have a, a goal to hopefully surpass what my parents did for my siblings and I someday. It's definitely not an easy feat, but I give it to them. They did an amazing job just providing for us. Um, I quickly recognized my leadership abilities when I lost my mom. Unfortunately, I lost my mom at a very young age, at the age of 10. Um, and uh, she passed from cancer. She was, even though she spent very little time with us as kids, she was extremely pivotal in how we um, think about life even till today. She was very knowledgeable, extremely resourceful, and I would like to say very, very informed and street smart. 
So she just taught us a lot. I mean, we, we, she was also very intelligent um, books wise, but just very, very in tune with society and in general people around us and just how to work with people, how to collaborate, how to connect. So I, I definitely learned a lot of that from her. And, you know, when she passed, um, that void missing her, I was just determined to make the best of my life to represent her on earth and hopefully make her super proud of me. Um, not just right now, but forever until I join her in a better place. So I recognized my leadership abilities then because when she passed, I moved on to secondary school in Nigeria, which is equivalent to like, what do you say? Middle school here and some high and high school in the U.S., for example. And um, at secondary school, I went to Atlantico in Lagos. At a very, very young age, I was very, um, I had a lot of leadership skills and tendencies. I was a leader amongst my peers. I was always very outspoken, um, but also listened. Um, I've obviously learned from then versus now, because there's a lot of things I had to work on as well. <laughs> Back then, of course, right. in my young teenage years, but um, I was made a leader at school at a very young age as well. I was in the boarding house. I was also a leader at the boarding house at a young age. So a lot of that just showed me my ability to bring people together, you know, and I moved on to another school where I think this is where I really realized, oh my goodness, like leadership is really for me. This is innate, you know, and of course I work to keep getting better at it, but I, it's a, it's definitely something I've been blessed with. Um, at this school, I moved on to the British school of Lome, which is in Togo, another country in West Africa. And here I was actually made the head of the choir um, in my school. (laughs) And that's hilarious because I have a horrible voice to say the least. Okay. Um, But I was chosen for my leadership abilities. They just wanted someone who would lead the choir and, you know, make sure that we delivered every Sunday, um, put everyone together an alto, soprano, bass, tenor, got everyone to deliver And that was me, you know, my voice was horrible, but I was able to bring a group of people together to consistently practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I believe were the days, and then to deliver on Sundays. So um, I've just always been a leader. It's been in me. I love to lead, but I also love to learn more importantly. And I just love to bring people to, I love having people around me. I'm a people lover. um, And, you know, it's, it's nothing new for me. And every day, I'm so passionate about leadership. I'm subscribed to many different leadership terminals um, for free on YouTube, for example. I also have a subscription on Masterclass, which has like, you know, it's a big class where you get to learn about different things in life, not just leadership, but how to cook, how to dance, how to do everything. Um, I'm subscribed to have Harvard Business Review. So I'm constantly reading. I'm so passionate about leadership. I mean, I'm always reading books. I have two kids right now, and my goodness, they pull me back from reading as much as I would love to, but I'm always listening to leadership podcasts. Um, I'm I'm just very passionate about leadership. It's something that I can leave, drink, and breathe all day. You know, it's not even a job for me. So, yes, I, I love it. Awesome. Uh, and, and, you know, you mentioned about, you know, just wanting to learn and, 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 and grow that. And I guess that's sort of what led you into uh, your university education. Uh, I, I think you, you, you started off um, uh, at Oxford um, uh, in terms of, of, a, of a higher IB program. How did you end up, uh, how did you end up there? So um, I come from a family of high achievers when it comes to academics not necessarily sports or anything like that, but just academics. My dad is super big on academics. So 
when we were growing up, I mean, we all knew like, you know, you had to go to a very good college and, you know, he would support you as long as it was one of the best, right? So I knew that I wanted to do the international baccalaureate because it would help me place out of a lot of college classes once I officially started college. And I wanted to, um, I, I chose one of the best IB schools in the world, which was St. Clair's Oxford. At that time, it was actually top five IB schools in the entire world. I think it still is. Um, it was, um, we had, uh, it hails in Switzerland, the IB International Baccalaureate hails in Switzerland, um, but it's worldwide now. And St. Clair's has always shown to produce the best results in the United Kingdom and across the world as well. So, of course, my dad saw that and was like, yes, this is the school you're going to get you're going to go to if you get into it. I applied, I got into it, and that's how I ended up at St. Clair. It's a very similar story to the University of Michigan College of Pharmacy, actually. Right. <laughs> nice. I, I had never been to University of Michigan. I didn't know a thing about Michigan. All my life, I had traveled all around the United States of America, traveled all around Europe, but I never, you know, when I came to the U.S., I never stepped a foot in Michigan. So ask me, how did I end up at the University of Michigan? Yeah, let's, ta- let's applying, talk about that. <laughs> let's talk right, about that. So, so the time I was applying to go to um, college, knowing fully well I wanted to get my PharmD, um, University of Michigan was ranked number two in pharmacy in the U.S. And till today, I believe it's still top three or top five. Um, number one was University of California, San Francisco at that time. Mm. And I didn't want to go all the way to California. I did not, even though I'm now in California. So it's coming back full circle. But I was, um, I just thought it was too far. I mean, from Nigeria to Europe and then all the way to California, I said, no. I'd, so M- Michigan was number two. And I said, okay, I can do this. I applied. My dad saw the ranking. It was great. He said, okay, if you get in, we'll go there. And I got in, and um, shortly after, I ended up at University of Michigan with a focus on uh, pharmacy. So that's pretty much has been my path. <laughs> mm. I didn't know a single person in Michigan, which was interesting as well, because being Nigerian, um, typically you'd know someone everywhere you go, but I didn't know anybody in Michigan. It just shows you how removed I was from Michigan. But I spent about half of my life in Michigan. So today I have a lot of ties in Michigan friends that have become family and I really appreciate those experiences as well. That's fantastic. So, so let's, let's pull back a little bit, you know, let's go back to Oxford. You know, how did you, how did you find the experience, you know, going to school in a completely different country in a completely different system? Uh, What was it like for you uh, just even uh, making friends, interacting with society? Uh, Were there any challenges that you experienced? And then, you know, and then, you know, following up from that, you know, same question, but, within the University of Michigan experience? Okay, so when I was in Oxford, um, it was different in the sense of I was in a different country and I was around a lot of people that were very different from me. However, the beauty about being at St. Clair's in Oxford was um, it was a melting pot, okay? So we had um, talking, we had people from almost every single country in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, even till today, if you go on the school's website, I think it's still the most international, one of the most international schools in the world. So I'm talking, I had friends from Serbia, Montenegro. I had friends from Estonia. I had friends from Equatorial Guinea. I mean, you name it, from, um, you know, Indonesia, every single country. So what was interesting was it was a lot of us that came to this school that were from different backgrounds and different cultures. So 
it wasn't that difficult because all of us had to adapt at the same time, right? You had a lot of Europeans as well. We had so many Germans, Italians, Spanish, um, you name it. So it was just like a very um, level set and ground for all of us because most of us were not from the United Kingdom, actually. So we all just got to learn from each other. So that experience was very enriching. And it was helpful because I actually went there with one of my classmates, uh, two of my classmates, actually, when I was in, uh, in Lome in Togo, came to Oxford as well nice. with me. So um, that was great just having that. And again, most of our teachers were also from the UK, but we also had some teachers that were international. So it wasn't, it was actually a very good experience. I would say um, it's just very different cultures. So I didn't come from a, co- uh, just a lot of different differences. So for example, um, the study system in like a country like Nigeria or even in Togo is very much, you know, pouring a lot of information. Um, you learn it, almost memorize it pretty much, and then you get tested. When I was Oxford, when I was at Oxford, it was a little bit of a difference where it was more of like studying, especially the IB, wasn't just studying the academics, but also studying the social aspects. So we were forced to do things called something called CAS. It stood for creativity, action, and service. And this was a huge part of our education. So the service you do in the community was tied into what you were learning. You know, the action, which is your physical activity, was tied into what we're learning. Same thing with the creativity. And then we also had something called TOK, which stands for Theory of Knowledge, which is philosophy. So there was just a lot of things that we had to learn that made us channel our our thoughts even deeper and and not just take information and regurgitate it, but more so take information, dissect it, fully understand it, and come up with even better ideas based on the the information we got. So I really appreciated that experience. Overall, it was a very good experience. I mean, I also was in an environment where it was only, I was one of three black people in the entire school, or one of five maybe. Mm. You're talking over 200 students. So, of course, um, that was different because <laughs> I was used to just being a majority, yeah. going to an environment where it was mostly black. I was used to an environment that was mostly black people as well in the past. So that was just different. But, you know, I had fun with a lot of my friends and met their families. Overall, it was, it was a very good experience. I can't complain, to be honest. Nice. And then, you know, you moved to the U.S., University of Michigan. Uh, why did you choose pharmacy to begin with? You know, was, was this, you know, in relation to like, did this have any influence or was this influenced rather by your experiences from uh, uh, from the loss of your mom? Or, you know, were there other people in sciences that made the choice uh, easier for you to make in terms of, of enrolling in a pharmacy program? Yeah, so someone must have told you a little bit about me already, but yeah, you are right. Um, pharmacy was actually triggered by the loss of my mom. So before my mom died, she was on several medic. It was on. It wasn't. That was one of the major things. So before she died, she was on several medications for her cancer, and I was always curious about how this medication worked, even though none of it was really curing her or making her even better. So I've always been curious about how drugs worked in the body. And then, um, and I also, I also was so determined to be part of some pharmaceutical industry to find a cure for cancer, but that didn't quite pan out. Um, so I'm not doing that right now, <laughs> but um, that was kind of what triggered it. And then more so, I was also very big on mathematics and chemistry when I was in school, uh, college, and even when I was doing the international baccalaureate, when I was in high school, um, 
chemistry and math came very, very easy to me. I love the math. I thought I was going to be a math teacher. My goodness. Um, but that did not happen. But anyways, um, I was through my guidance counselor in school. I was educated like, you know, you love chemistry and math. Uh, you should probably be a doctor. But then I knew I never wanted to become a doctor um, because I just felt like it was so many years of schooling, one. And two, um, to be a super great doctor, I felt like I would have to compromise family or I'd have to compromise the, comp- the profession. So the way I viewed it, and I may be wrong, I viewed it that I would have to be, to be a great doctor, I may not be a great mother or wife. Right. And to be a great mother or wife, I may not be the best doctor I could be. So... I found pharmacy to be a better medium, you know, providing me a better work-life balance as a profession, the ability to have a great impact while also having the, um, the, the capacity to build a family and just be there for my family. So pharmacy provided that work-life balance for me, uh, just from talking to other people that had been in the profession and, um, you know, I'm happy I made a decision. If I had to do it again, I'd probably do it again. Awesome. 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 That's great. And, you know, how has your, your career evolved as a result of, of, of going through pharmacy? So, I mean, you've, you've uh, been at Rite Aid for, for quite a while. Was that where you started your career? And, 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 and how did you build up uh, your career to ultimately becoming uh, uh, an executive at, at the company? So I've been at Rite Aid, you are right, since the start of my career. I started, um, once I graduated as a pharmacist, I started as a pharmacist, staff pharmacist. And then I kept climbing climbing up. I became a pharmacy manager for one store. Then I became a pharmacy district manager for about 28 stores in Southeast Michigan. And um, and then I became a, a district leader for not just the pharmacy, but pharmacy and the front end of the store as well. Um, and you know, I just kept growing. I became a regional healthcare leader, which is a position that I was in charge of clinical services for like half of a region, which was almost hundred stores. And then right now I am a vice president with the company. So, um, I've always been big on leadership. So I think that has been my driver. Um, not so much so, so intentionally or structurally, but just more so as I keep working hard. And not just understanding the business of pharmacy and the business of my company, but just even understanding the business of leadership, you know, understanding what leadership entails, because especially to be at my level, there's only so much impact you can have. I'm not the one getting my, I'm not the one who's working at the front line. Mm. We like to call that the Gemba at Rite Aid, you know, um, we're very big on lean now. Um, and Gemba is really the site where things happen. I am not the one at the site. I'm leading people from, from very high above, you know, um, for lack of a better explanation. So right. to be able to get my message down so many levels, my leadership really needs to be on, on, on another level. It needs to be on an extremely effective level. So I have to think about my communication. Is it clear? What are my expectations? Am I setting them clearly? Are they realistic? Are they smart? Am I putting times to it? Am I setting goals? You know, am I pushing my teams to know that they can be the best? And 
not just be the best for one week, but be the best for a whole fiscal year, right? So I'm so, it, it, it's, 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 I'm very passionate about leadership that I'm not planning to stop at a VP role. I want to keep growing. I will keep growing, you know, and that's pretty much, it's just in me, you know, even if I wasn't trying, if I, if I, if I go on a vacation, I'm probably going to have a leadership book with me. So if you're just immersing yourself in everything leadership, I mean, <laughs> you, I mean, I leave, breathe this, right? So I am going to know a lot about this. I am just going to have solutions, even through a pandemic like COVID-19. You know, it showed me a lot about my leadership, for example, right? I was able to pivot very quickly. I was able to be there for my teams um, on many levels. You know, I was able to think outside the box because none of us had been through something like this before. None of us have, unless you were born in the during the flu pandemic time, which was in the 1910 era, right? So, um you know, I just think I continue to equip myself with everything I need to be a great leader. And I'm never, I, I'm not where I need to be. I'm never going to be there, to be honest, because I'm a, I'm a constant learner. But I think the fact that I'm constantly learning is what sets me apart um, from others. And the fact that I love to learn about leadership also puts me on a platform where I'm always ready for that next position. Phenomenal. Um in, in terms of your, your challenges that you've experienced, and, and even, even through this COVID-19 situation, like you mentioned, you know, you, you, you guys have had to pivot quickly. Can you share some stories around that? Like what, what's been a, a crazy challenge that you, you've experienced, you know, even through this pandemic or, and, and, you know, throughout your career, uh, even as a black female executive, are there challenges that, that you can share with us? So, um, I'll say, so for example, with COVID-19, as everyone knows, once it hit, um, even the hospitals, right, were not able to get PPE. You know, masks were not as available as they are now. Nothing was really there, right? But me and my teams, um, we had, we were literally online, just checking every day, eBay, any platform, just to see who had some face masks. Because again, we have people, we, we, our pharmacists and their technicians and their entire team, quite frankly, are essential workers. We are frontline workers. So a lot of them are still going into work and we have to be able to provide them with the safety, you know, to know that, you know, we, we care about them. And they understood just like we understood that there was a huge shortage of, of PPE, period. Even the hospitals did not have PPEs, right? But just knowing that we were making the active effort, um, not just me, but even my company as a whole, to just constantly look for where to source um, 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 face masks, for example, without giving up was one thing. We didn't just sit back and wait for everything to come in stock, right? We, we were constantly looking everywhere to see where we could get some and provide for our teams. So something like that just even helps to build trust because our teams felt like, wow, we were really, really, we were really, concerned about them right and um, that's just one of many examples because I could imagine myself working as a pharmacist and I know that some other retails uh, pharmacies may not their, their workers don't have the privilege that I have for example working at Rite Aid it just makes me feel like wow Rite Aid really cares right and that's how you build trust and when you build trust you build great relationships, and when you build great relationships, that's really how you get the that's really how you get the best results out of people, mm. because people don't really work for corporations. People work for people that they work for, yeah. right? So, um, you know, most people would most people would leave 
a company they work for because they don't like their boss, for example, right? So it's just, you really have to be there for your teams. And COVID-19 showed us that in many ways. I could give you more examples, but, you know, just stop there. Okay. Awesome. So so let, let's talk about um, your your nonprofit that you co-founded um, uh, called My My Dream Big Club. How did how did that idea come about, and what what was that gap that you saw that you know decided and that made you made you decide that oh you know I need to do something and here's how I'm going to do it. Okay, so my Dream Big Club uh, came up when we started in 2018 during my maternity leave in January, January 2018 to be exact. So one of the beauties about working at Rite Aid as a leader was that it showed me my ability to bring out the best in people. So I was working with teams that were not performing before I got there. And when I got there, I was able to motivate them and bring out the best in them. We had the same people, right? The same, we didn't change anything. The same people working, I was just able to show them that they could do it. Now, having been able to accomplish that, I write it, it really gave me more momentum to know that this is beyond just pharmacy. I could do this with friends. I could do this with family. Um, I've always been someone that has always helped push people, but my Dream Big Club, um, just really came from me being on maternity leave. And I talked with my husband, we talked together and we said, look, let's bring, a lot of us are doing great things. My husband is an engineer. I'm a pharmacist. We have friends who are from all different works of life, surgeons all the way to like artists. Right. And um, it's like, we're all friends and there's so much we can learn from each other. There's so much we can leverage from each other. There's so much we can do together to bring out the best in each other. So we, we, we literally just sat down and said, hey, let's map this out. Let's bring our friends together. Let's have a conversation in our house over um, drinks and have you know great banter. And uh, we'll see where this goes. This is really how it started. So we invited a few friends. And I believe it was only about maybe 10 of us total. Uh, in our apartment or in our house then. And um, we had a great conversation. We Our focus was to discuss transformative topics and just elevate each other. And from there, it kept growing. You know, um, those friends invited their friends to the point that we had to move into like a library setting to create more room, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've had much more bigger events. Last year, we had our biggest event, which was a conference uh, bringing together about 200 people, including vendors, um, to basically channel their inner excellence. So my Dream Big Club basically comes from me, as a, myself and my husband, as a couple, um, just knowing that the world has a lot to offer, right? And all of us have a huge part to play in it. And if we don't start dreaming big, we may never realize our biggest or our fullest potential. You know, if you really dig deep, most of us are not even realizing 10% of our potential. Most of us are not. And most of us will die without realizing it. That's just the truth. Right. But Dream Big Club really is a platform to bring people together and push us to achieve more of that potential. We may never get to 100%, but even if you can move the needle from 10% to 30%, that's a huge achievement, right? So you, for example, I know you're a CPA and um, you're also a leader by nature, but maybe you love to to paint, right? right? Just because you're a CPA doesn't mean you just, you never paint. You can also paint. It's just all about finding the time and the system um, 
on your calendar um, to kind of create that, especially if you love to paint, right? Yeah. Why not turn that passion into profit? So maybe you say, okay, on Fridays, I'm not, I don't need to work a full day of my nine to five job. So I'm going to dedicate 12 to five on Fridays to painting. And even if it starts with just something as simple as task rabbit, right? Get subscribed there and start painting for random people. You're able to, you're blessing someone by painting their home. Hmm. So it's really just an avenue for people to get together and just elevate each other. Um, and when you see other people are doing it, you see someone who's a doctor, but he's also an interior decorator at the same time. It'll make you realize, okay, you know what? Maybe I can do this too. Maybe I can be a, a pharmacist and also a dancer, right? Maybe yeah. I can realize both dreams, right? Um, so that's pretty much what it's all about in a nutshell. Hmm. Um, but our focus right now is really on helping ent- entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs to realize more of their dreams. That's really our niche right now. So yeah, speak- as we've evolved. So, yeah, speaking of of dreams, right? Um, one of the things that you ended up doing was was running a marathon for the first time Ooh, uh, yeah. last year. Um, you know, and and I guess <laughs> you know that's part of your dream big moment. Uh, how, how did you end up doing something like that? Like, where did the idea to run a marathon uh, come from, you know? So sometimes I still ask myself that question <laughs> because that was definitely one of the biggest things I did in my life besides maybe actually having a baby or having babies. My goodness, um, running a marathon was very foreign for me hmm. for many reasons because, one, I'm not a runner. I don't come from a family of runners. In fact, till today, I don't think my dad believes I actually ran 26.2 miles. He, <laughs> he just thinks, ha, 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 that's not possible, right? Um, but I had a mentor uh, who uh, was actually my mentor through my work, who's a big-time runner. Um, he's an ultra runner, actually. So he does like 100 miles, 200 miles sometimes. And um, he... Uh, I I ran my first race, which was a 5K in April last year, and I was so proud of myself. I mean, it just shows you how removed I am from running, right? I ran a 5K. I trained. I thought I was doing the big thing. Oh, my gosh. I was like, (laughs) you can't tell me nothing. I am the best. I am the, you know. And I told him when I finished the race, I finished it. Can you believe I finished the 5K? And I think he was being very kind to me. He was just like, oh, that's awesome. Um, so up next is a marathon. <laughs> and I laughed. I was like, up next, a marathon? you got to be joking. You yeah. have to be kidding me. A 5K, I thought I did something big. Now you're telling me to go run. A 5K is like 3.1 miles. Now you're telling me to go run. Like multiply that by nine almost? No. <laughs> so anyways, I, I kind of brushed it off. And then he just kept telling me, look, running a marathon is very um, – is." Running the marathon is largely a mind thing, okay? So as long as you tell yourself you can do it and you train and you discipline through your training, you can do it. So I, I, I said, well, uh, maybe I'll, st- I'll, I'll still I'll think about it. Cut the long story short, um, this is where accountability and um, accountability comes in because I was able to find a girlfriend who was in a very similar situation as I am. So she's a mother, she's a doctor, I'm a pharmacist. She has two kids. I had two kids. Our kids are in the same age range. And she was like, oh, I want to do it too. Let's do it. And just her being willing to do it gave me more momentum because I was like, huh, okay, well, if she wants to do it, maybe I can do it too because 
we're in the similar situation, right? There's no excuse. Yeah, we both have full-time jobs. We both are taking care of two kids under four. And um, I mean, just, wow, okay, let's give it a shot. And so I bought a book that basically teaches you how to, it's called The Non-Runner's Guide to Running a Marathon. And that is one book that, oh my goodness, um, I have to, I still have to write a letter to thank the authors if they're still alive. They're from University of Iowa. And it basically um, is a book that just teaches you do this and do this for 16 weeks and then you run your marathon. Hmm. And I did everything the book said to do, every single thing. Um, Never miss a race. Um, Don't run more than 18 miles before your marathon. I mean, it just sets everything you should do from week one to week 16. I did every single thing and... I found myself on October 20th last year, 2019, running a marathon. And when I tell you, running that marathon, training for the marathon was way harder than running the marathon. Running the marathon, when I finished, I was still running because I was looking for my family. But <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't like break down or anything. I never stopped to use the restroom. I, I was just like, I could have run probably another mile even, right? And it just shows how discipline mixed with you know, preparation with accountability partner, um, with the right mindset. You can achieve anything you set your mind to on this earth. I'm serious. I really feel like running the marathon just made me, I'm very good with financials, but running the marathon made me feel like, oh my goodness, I can really set my financial goals even higher Mm. because this is all the mind. Like literally everything you want to achieve in life, everything that's really big is all the mindset, the grit, the bandwidth. How much are you ready to keep going even when you hear no for an answer, right? So a lot of people discourage me, and that also pushed me to keep going. People discourage me, oh, what are you running a marathon for? Most people would do a half marathon first. And I was like, well, I mean, it's been done before, so I can do it, right? So I just really, really pushed myself, and it definitely taught me a lot of lessons. I put a post on LinkedIn and also on my Instagram on some lessons learned from running a marathon while doing a full-time job, raising two kids, um, relocating for my job. I mean, yeah. there was a lot going on that year. Yeah. So, I mean, you can like definitely it. check it out. It's on my Instagram. It's a full post on that. It's also on my LinkedIn. Um, but I learned a lot of great lessons. Ever. And I think the biggest lesson is you can do anything you put your mind to. And that's, I think, one of my biggest advice for everyone listening to this podcast. Don't. It's not a cliche statement. It really is the fact. If you put your mind to something, you want to achieve it, you will do it. Brilliant. So, so you've, you've, you've achieved a lot in your life, right? You've, uh, you, you went to some of the best schools in the world. You, know, you got to enroll and succeed in, in a program of study and a, and a career path that uh, you've had since you were young, uh, you know, married with two kids, ran a marathon, started your own nonprofit, coaching people. You know, you're now an executive um, so what, what's next for you? What, what's next on your path? Um, what can we look forward to seeing you doing or, or becoming uh, in the future? Ooh, that's a heavy question because I am also a very faith-based um, person. So I'm a firm believer that I would never achieve anything I do without the support of God. And um, I really like God to really determine that for me because I know that he has, he's always, he's, he's really set the path for me in my life and I'm grateful. So I'm ready to keep walking on that path that he's set for me. I think that um, 
One thing I think is next that I'll say people should watch out for is um, right now I'm having an impact on a very local level. I'm having an impact largely in California where I work and I would say in Detroit where I left. Um, but I'm, I, I see myself having more of a global impact very soon worldwide, you know, I would say is, is, is one of my goals and just where I'm also headed um, because I, and I'm so grateful for the internet because the internet has allowed us to be able to, um, to help everybody everywhere in the world. Right. And I'm also looking for help because to keep going, I also think I need to invest in some great coaches. So if you're sure. a great um, coach out there, leadership coach, um, executive coach, you know, I'd love to hear from you, right? Um, but I am, um, I, I do think that I'm ready to get on a global platform where I can just continue to make an impact and bring out the best in people. That's really my motto in life to motivate and bring out the best people, uh, to motivate and bring out the best in others. That is my purpose on this earth. I have, I've, I've, I've been informed by that purpose, I have received it, and I'm ready to execute on that on a much global level. Fantastic. Well, oh, Amonia, thank you for, for uh, this great conversation. Uh, but just before we go, uh, I'm going to run you through our rapid fire session, uh, which is where we'll, you, you know, I'll ask you a few uh, questions very quickly. Um, and, you know, just give me your best response that comes to mind. All right. Um, so the first one, what book are you currently reading? Extreme Ownership. I'm reading that because that's a, um, a book that we are actually do, reading on my book club, me and my team, uh, my, my team of leaders at my company. Um, I make all of us read a book every month. So Extreme Ownership, we believe that there are no bad teams, there are only bad leaders. So we all work on ourselves to be great leaders so that we can bring all the best teams. Excellent. And what would you say is, a, is your favorite productivity hack or tool? writing down my top three to-dos every day. So I literally just write down top three um, to-dos. You know, there's always, we have a lot of things to do every day, right? But what are my top three? So once I check these three things off, I feel great that I've done three things today, despite all the distractions that life throws at you. So writing down top three uh, the night before and then executing on those top threes the next day. Brilliant. And what would you say is your favorite place to escape to? Okay, what's my favorite place? Uh, I'll probably say just going to Lagos, Nigeria, because that's home for me, right. and um, it's just a lot of peacefulness. I don't have to worry about anything. I have a lot of support there with family, with my kids, and just I just it's like bliss, you know. Nice. I have someone who's helping me make my food, <laughs> someone who's <laughs> helping me take care of my kids. Um, yes, it's right now. That's where it is. Perfect. And who would you say is your biggest cheerleader or supporter? Oh my gosh, my husband, Sharon Phillips, undoubtedly, nobody comes close. I would not be where I am today without that man. I mean, I thank God for all the favors he's given me in my life, but I also tell people this, to be honest, who you marry is everything. It would either make or break you. And my husband has been extremely pivotal in my success, not just with my career, but in life in general. Even like my marathon, for example. He's very supportive. He believes in me. He pushes me. He's there for me. I'm, I'm so grateful. Great. And final question. If money uh, was not an issue, what would you do? I would still be leading people. I would be a community leader. Um, I would 
be doing what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I love it that much. I would bring, I would be convening people for a better cause in life. You know, people bringing people together, helping them to achieve their big dreams, um, learning from them as well, um, giving back to the community as much as possible. Just really, just bringing people together. I think the world would be a much better place if more of us achieved our big dreams. You know, uh, somebody out there is waiting for you to achieve your big dream, as is, and someone out there is waiting for me too, right? So, um, if Jeff Bezos wasn't dreaming as big as he did, um, Amazon would not be where it is today, right? right? So, it's really just like, and look at look at right now in the world. To be honest, I know he doesn't have a lot of, he may not have all the fans, but. You have to admit, Amazon makes life a lot easier for a lot of us, right? That's so that's what I mean. We need more people dreaming big, you know, and we also need the support, you know, especially with those communities that don't have as much access to resources and equity, right? We need support so that we can also just push through in, in being able to realize our big dreams. Fantastic. Amonia, thank you very much for your uh, for your responses, for this great conversation, this great insights. Uh, we're going to be tracking you uh, and following your big dreams uh, throughout your, your career, your endeavors, um, and you're definitely one of the folks, as we say on the show, that were that that is made to lead. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Made to Lead. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please share with others. Also take a moment to leave a review as well. This helps us improve and also get discovered by others. You can also support by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show and by visiting our website, madetolead.co. If you would like to be featured or know an amazing person of African descent whose story would be inspirational to others, I'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, madetolead.co slash get featured and send us a note. As you continue on your own leadership journey, remember that if you don't spread your wings, you'll never know how high or how far you can fly. So stretch your feathers because you were made to lead. <laughs>